0: You know, if you go through life. Welcome to the Life Spring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at at lifespringchurch.us. Like I remember the first time I just got busted in the mouth super hard. I was on a swing set, and I was swinging, and I was, well, I wasn't really swinging, I was twisting it, right? You know how you'd twist it up, and then you'd stick your feet out and your face out, and you'd lay it straight and just untwist? Well, I was getting about as fast as you can go untwisting, and my face met the pole that held up the swing set. Don't look, but my tooth is chipped from where uh, it met the pole. I'll never forget, I can take you right to the spot where that swing set is today. It's ingrained in my mind the place where I had that experience, that memory. And you've had experiences in your life, whether they're great experiences or negative experiences. You can go right to the place where you had that experience. I can take you to the building, in the sanctuary, take you to the altar area if they haven't reconstructed it. I probably could get you pretty close just from the sides of the building, right to the place where I first repented of my sins and felt the grace of God sweep over my life. Just a few feet over from that spot on a different service, I could take you to where I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. I can take you to the baptistry where I was baptized. And it was cold water. All of these things, these memories, these these things that happen in our life create a tie to individual places. But it's not just memories. There's also decisions that happen in our lives. And those decisions get tied to places. I remember the place where my wife made the greatest decision of her life. It was New Year's Eve, midnight. We snuck into the Findlay River Park and went down by the Findlay River and I bowed on one knee and said, "Would you marry me?" And the whole neighborhood was in concert with me cuz the fireworks started going off at midnight. And she goes, "I guess." <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, that was what the word. Sure. Well, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> Decisions are tied to places. You remember the place where you were the first time that you made a decision that you no longer wanted to be bound by the stuff in this life that bind you, but you were going to do whatever you had to to find freedom. Decisions are tied to places. And so I want to talk to us a little bit about a place, and it'll make sense as we go along today. At the oak tree. At the oak tree. The oak tree. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a Bible story you're all familiar with. And so rather than reading the entire chapter, I'm just going to jump through and read a couple verses here and there throughout the chapter. And just kind of bring the context together. And then we will grab some of these verses for our topic today. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll begin at the very beginning. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at Shoko. Look at your neighbor and say Shoko. You just said a Hebrew word. There you go. You learned Hebrew at church today. Which belongeth to Judah. And they pitched between Shoko and Azekah. Look at your neighbor and say Azekah. Now you've said two Hebrew words today, Shoko and Azekah, in Ephesdemon. Ephesdomen. That's a word for you, Ephesdomen. If you want to tell your neighbor Ephesdomen, you can do that and you'll have three Hebrew words down for a day. There you go. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. So we've got war happening in this place. Skip down to verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, This is the Philistine, the giant, by the name of Goliath. And he said unto them, Why are you come out to set a battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Jump down to verse 49. A lot happens. David shows up. His brothers make fun of him. One brother gets mad at him for being there. The Philistine comes in the valley and starts boasting again. It just boils David's blood. I can he defy the armies of God. What happens to the man that kills this guy? David ends up in Saul's tent wearing Saul's armor. The guy who stood head and shoulders above everybody else, and you got this little, yeah. it's believed he was a teenager, probably young to middle teenage kid, wearing this six-foot-whatever guy's armor. He's like, man, I haven't proved this. I, this thing going to work. I'm just going to go back to what I know. He grabs his stone, his slingshot and his stones. Here's what he says, verse 49. And David put his hand in the bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word today. This is a familiar story, and it's an easy story to preach because it's all about victory. The story of David and Goliath. We even make reference to that story in the different aspects and areas of life. Man, it's been a hard, it's been a hard week, or or maybe even you've heard a sports analyst say, Well, this game is like David fighting Goliath. It just seems like there's an insurmountable battle that's going to happen. There's a there's a There's a war and the the end is already predetermined because of who's in the battle. Here comes a giant standing in the valley fighting just a small scripture calls him ruddy little shepherd boy. Now we know in this battle that the Lord was on David's side and David prevailed in fighting and winning the war. And we can learn from that story that if you're facing a giant in your life, you can have victory. You can be victorious over the giants in your life. No matter where they come from, you can be victorious. You dig deeper into the story of David and Goliath, and you learn where Goliath came from. And I'm just going to share this with you today. I, you can take it for what it's worth Goliath was known as a Gittite that's not hillbilly forget it done <laughs> he was a Gittite which means he was from the city or the land the area of Gath and the land of Gath was known as a vineyard that's what Gath means a vineyard or a wine press amazing when you face the obstacles in life, what what comes at you that God can give you victory. The demons that came to David as a response to the wine press, he was able to have victory over them in his life. Amen? And sometimes the things that come to us, it may not so much be the source, but what that source produces in us is what comes out and is what causes us to have struggle and trial and problems. Jesus said it's not what goes in a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man that defiles them. We should be careful that we don't put things in us that bring out anger and violence and strife and heartache and trouble and addiction. We're familiar with the, the story of the battle, and today I'm not going to preach on the battle of David and Goliath. But rather, I want to focus on the theater of battle, the place of battle, where it happened and where it occurred. And I want to dig into the principles just a little bit today and see if we can't understand exactly what the Lord is trying to speak to us through this story. The Bible tells us that the Philistines camped, gathered together at Soko. If you look up that Hebrew word that you learned this morning, Soko, it's a city. It means the hedge. The Bible says that then they camped between the hedge and a place called Azica. Azica was, was known as farmland. It was very fertile soil in the valley. And it was a place of great value. And it was so valuable that it had walled cities, it had cities, or excuse me, had walls around the city. I mean, they could protect the farmland and protect what was valuable to them. And then there's Ephistimon. It simply means a boundary of blood. So we got a, two cities and then a region the hedge, the walled, and the boundary of blood. What can I tell you today? That when we fight and when we war in this life, there will be three places of confrontation that we war against. And I want to talk to us a little bit about the three places where you'll have a battle. The three places where you'll have a fight. When the enemy comes to us, he doesn't always march in on Sunday morning right in the middle of praise service. When the presence of God is moving And you're with the other saints of God and you are empowered by his spirit. That's not when the devil shows up and tries to fight us. The devil doesn't wait until you've found your place of devotion in the morning and and you've finished praying and you've finished studying the word. And and you feel invigorated by God's presence being with you and, and you step out of your prayer closet. That's not normally the place Satan tries to attack us. He doesn't look for our strengths to attack us. He he finds our weaknesses and tries to attack us. One of the first places Satan will come to you, attack you is the hedge. The hedge is a boundary. The hedge is, is a representation of this is one side and that's the other side. You read about the hedge, or you you, you think about the hedge, and, and one of the first stories that may come to mind is Job. Job prayed. The Bible says he prayed to God and asked God that he would set a hedge of protection around his children. Just in case they were to do something wrong. What an incredible prayer. What a sense of responsibility Job had for his children and for his family, but if you keep reading in the story, you discover that God didn't build a hedge just around Job's family. God included Job inside the hedge. So the things you pray for matter. Your prayers are a hedge. Your prayers are a boundary. And it's a powerful boundary. Satan came to God Wanting to stir up mischief. I mean, it's what he has to do if he wants to be a good devil. And you know the story. God says, well, what about my servant Job? And what was Satan's response? Oh, I can't get to him. There's a hedge around him. Your prayers matter. This is the significance of your prayers. Your prayers create a boundary that says, Satan, this is the line. You can't cross it. Satan, this is the boundary. This is the place where you must stop. You can interfere with all the stuff outside of the hedge, but you don't have any right, any access, or any authority inside the hedge. The fact is, where your prayer ends is where your battles begin. Where we stop praying is where Satan then has access to start causing problems. So don't stop praying for your family. Don't stop praying for your friends. Don't stop praying for your co-workers. Don't stop praying for healing for that individual. Don't stop praying for deliverance for that person. Don't stop praying for your own hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Don't stop praying for deliverance. Don't stop praying for victory. Because where you stop praying is where your battle will begin. Pray beyond where you want to fight. Lord, I don't want to fight this addiction over and over again. I'm going to pray beyond it. I'm going to pray beyond the addiction. I'm going to pray to the source of the addiction. I'm going to pray beyond the source of the addiction. I'm going to pray to the atmosphere that causes me to get into the addiction, to get into the problem. I'm going to pray beyond the the health issue. I'm going to pray beyond my weakness. I'm going to pray for my strength, the hedge. Satan will find you where you stop praying. The line that you say, I'm not going to pray about this anymore, or I've not prayed this prayer anymore, or I'm not even going to commit to prayer in this area of my life anymore. That's where the battle starts. The second place was Azica. Azica was the wall, it protects the fertile soil. It protects the crops. It protects the young crops as they are growing. It protects the mature crops until the harvest is brought in. It protects the harvest. All of these things in our life. How many wants God to grow new stuff in you? The old stuff in my life hasn't really worked out all that great all the time. I like new stuff. Maybe I'm shallow. I'll take that. But sometimes I just like to go buy something new of something I already have that's old and worn out. It's nice to have a new one. I get tired of working on the same lawn mower every time I want to go mow the lawn. I just want to turn the lawnmower on, mow the lawn, and be done with that task. I don't want to spend 30 minutes getting the lawnmower to work so that I can go spend 30 minutes mowing the lawn so then I can stop and work 30 minutes to keep it running so I can finish mowing the lawn. We want to get rid of the old stuff and get new stuff to replace it. God told the children of Israel while they were in bondage, That he was gonna give them a promise. And he gave them the promise. And the promise was this I will take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. But before they could possess a land of their promise, they first had to conquer the walls of Jericho. Before they could cross over the Jordan River and then enter into the promise that God had them, they had to be victorious over the walls. And it's the same in our lives. Before the enemy can take over the promise of God, he has to get past the walls that God has built to protect around us. It matters where you build your wall. It matters where you say, all right, this is a foundational item, and upon this foundational belief and covenant with God, I'm going to begin to build my life. I'm going to begin to build the expectations for my life. I'm going to begin to build the expectations for my family. This is where the wall is going to be laid. Maybe you're familiar with the story where King David, beyond his years of fighting giants, is now king. And he sees a little vineyard and he's interested in it. It's right by the palace. It's a good vineyard. He wants to own it. Naboth's vineyard. And a servant goes down to Naboth's and tells him, Hey, the king wants your vineyard. And Naboth's like, Well, give it to him. He's the king. And David said, "No, No, 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 no. I'm going to pay you what it's worth, it has value. I'm not going to just take it from you. I I recognize the value of what's inside the walls that you've built. He refused to take it. He chose rather to pay for it. Everything that you've built a wall around has value. And it shouldn't just be freely given to every person that comes along. Your morality has value. The way you present yourself has value. The things that you've said I will or won't allow in my life has value. Where you build the wall in your life determines what you have valued in your life. Matter of fact, I would put it this way. Where your respect and reverence ends is where your battle begins. If you don't respect God. You're going to have a lot of battle and struggle in your life. If you don't respect the church. You'll have struggle and battle in the church. If you don't respect the leaders of the church. You'll have struggles and battles with the leaders of the church. If you don't respect the saints in the church. You'll have struggles with the people and the saints in the church. If you don't respect your boss on the job. You'll have struggles at your job with your boss. If you don't respect your coach, You get the picture. Where you lose respect and you lose reverence is where your battles Begin. The third place that we always encounter the battle Ephes Domen. Ephes The bloodline. You know, the bloodline has been passed to us through heritage through the heritage of those who have gone before us and those who are passed on, warriors who have fought for us. They've established boundaries. They've offered great sacrifice for us to be where we are today and for us to believe what we believe today. They created a bloodline for us to serve behind. They've stood for some doctrines that not everybody believed in. They stood against Religious influencers who tried to talk against what they believed in. Oh, I'm not talking about just in our generation or just in our century. All the way back to the beginning. Here's some stuff they stood for they stood for the idea, the belief, and the truth that there is here, oh Israel, one Lord. They stood for the truth that there is only one manifested in person, Jesus Christ. God manifested himself, not in a triune, but God manifested himself in a singularity. God manifested himself as Jesus Christ. God became the son through sonship. That sonship could bring us redemption, but it wasn't a division of God. It was a unification of God. It was God becoming the sacrifice for us. So there is only one God who manifested himself in one person as Jesus Christ, who has one spirit, the Holy Spirit, which after he ascended, he sent back to us as the Holy Ghost. There is only one expressed image of God as it tells us in Colossians. There is only one who sits on the throne whom John saw in the revelation of Reve- in the dreams of revelation. There is only one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And could I add to my notes today, God of gods. It is Jesus Christ, whom the angel said is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one who can redeem you and save you. You don't have to pray to a lesser or a sub- titled God in order to reach to a higher God. You don't have to pray to a mom so that she can petition a son so that he can petition a father. When you're born again of water and spirit, the Bible tells us that you become the sons of God. You are a joint heir with Christ. God becomes your heavenly father. You talk to God yourself. Well, I just stepped on some stuff. <laughs> the Bible teaches us, and this is the doctrine we're fighting for. It's a line that's been drawn in the sand. The Bible teaches us that there is one gospel that we, by which we can be saved. The only gospel that saves mankind is not the gospel. It is not the gospel of believe it. It is not the gospel of confess it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It's the gospel of a new life in Christ. It's the gospel of letting the old things die and all things becoming new. The gospel that saves a soul that's been lost in sin and redeems it so that it can be holy and righteous and glorious in the eyes of God. It's the gospel of death, burial, and resurrection. It's the gospel that says just as Christ died on the cross, I'll surrender my life and my will and my flesh and I'll die at an altar of repentance. It's the gospel that says just as Christ was buried in a tomb, so will I be buried in a watery grave of baptism. And by His name, He will remit all of my sins. He will remove as though they never existed all of my sin from my life. And just as he was empowered by the Spirit to resurrect into a new life, so do we, by the infilling of his Holy Spirit, resurrect into a new life in Christ Jesus. We are not tomb dwellers, we are the resurrected. I haven't died and been buried and left, but I've died, been buried, and resurrected by the infilling of his Spirit. These things did not come to us with ease. These things did not come to us through the simple, but they came through us because there was an establishment of a bloodline. Yeah. We understand these truths today because some apostles and some early church disciples struggled through the religious leaders of their day. When they say, "I'm a follower of Jesus Christ," and they said, "Oh, you're Christians." They didn't carry the same ring as it does today. It was a put down. It was a knock. It was derogatory. It was prejudiced. It was belittling. It was a mark. Oh, you follow that guy. You follow the one who preached in the face of the Pharisees and caused them to feel condemnation in their heart. You're the one who broke all the laws. Oh, you follow the one who ate on Sabbath and healed on the Sabbath and and walked through the through the harvest on the Sabbath. You're the one that was a blasphemer, and you're following him, the blasphemer who confessed with his own mouth to be God. It was not of great reputation to be called a Christian in the early days, but they endured. If you study, you'll see that all 12 of the apostles died a martyr's death, the exception of John. You read on, it wasn't just the apostles, but the early church believers. Many of them died martyr's death. And not just the early church, but century after century after century. People who held on to these beliefs uh, that God is one. And that you must die, bury, and be resurrected. Uh, These people year after year, decade after decade, century after century. Have paid the price of their blood to bring us to where we are today. There's some heritages that are worth fighting for. There's some truths that are worth holding on to. There's some pioneers even in the beginning of the 1900s, the end of the 1800s, just like we've seen recently in our country, people hungry for revival, hungry for more than just Sunday ritual, hungry for more than just repeated religion. Hungry for God, hungry for a relationship with God, hungry for change in their life, they began to dig deeper into the word of God, deeper into the book of truths. And they discovered some stuff. They discovered that religion hadn't brought them to the relationship that they were looking for. And maybe they had to buck a religious system, and maybe they had to go against some religious protocols. But they began to pray and seek God on their own. And they began to reach out to God in desperation. And they began to experience a moving of God's spirit. And it brought to us what is known as the end day, the last day revival, the latter day revival, the fresh new mighty outpouring of God's spirit. Oh, God's Spirit had been poured out repeatedly again and again and again throughout the centuries, but there had not been the magnitude, the size of the wave of God's Spirit as had hit particularly the United States in the early 1900s and in the 1800s and other places around the globe. These people brought to us the revelation of revival that we have today. Bible school classroom in Topeka, Kansas. Some hungry people in Azusa Street. Some others at a campground. They got a revelation of what it means to be filled with His Spirit. They got a revelation of what it means to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Baptism became more than joining a church to them. It became salvation to them. These things are worth fighting for. These things are the bloodline that's been passed through heritage to us. But there's more than just what's been given to us from history. There's more than just the blood of martyrs. And there's more than just the dedication of saints of God that's come to us. But there's one bloodline that's more powerful than any bloodline that's ever been shed. It's the blood that was shed on the cross. It's the literal blood that flowed from the body of Jesus Christ. That creates a boundary between death and life. It's at this line that Satan will show up and begin to try and fight us. But let me tell you, he can't cross the line of the blood. He can't come across the bloodline. You see, it's the power of the cross that separates condemnation from redemption. It's the power of the cross that separates death and life. It's the power of the cross that separates the accused and the forgiven. It's the power of the cross that transforms old into new. Oh, I'm thankful for the blood of the cross. I'm thankful for a Savior that said, I'll leave the glories of heaven and I'll robe myself in flesh and I'll save my creation for myself, to myself, by myself, with my own blood. We sing the old song, and maybe you can help me. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Oh, that blood, that precious blood, the blood that ran off that tree. It poured from the pores of his skin in a garden as he wept in agony and prayed a prayer of surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. The blood that came from a brow that had a crown of thorns shoved upon it. The blood that came from a face whose beard had been ripped out of it. The blood that came from a back that a whip had torn open. Oh, the blood that flowed from hands and feet that had been pierced by nails. The blood and water that flowed from a side that a spear had pierced. All of it willingly given. All of it wholly given. All of it with intention given to redeem us and to draw a line that says this is where the battle ends. This is where the struggle stops. The blood of Jesus Christ creates the boundary that hell and Satan cannot cross. You hear me today? The spiritual penalties from your past can't cross the bloodline. Oh, I did some things that were unpleasing to God, but if you left them behind the blood, you've been cleansed, you've been purified, you've been made new by the power of his name. I'm here to tell you today, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How do I get in Christ Jesus? You take on his name. You bow your knee and say, Lord, I need you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me. And you go in Christ Jesus in the name, in the water, through his name. And then it's the spirit of Christ Jesus that comes and lives inside of us. Jesus creates this bloodline that hell can't cross. The enemy can't cross. The accuser can't cross. Your past can't cross. I want to tell you today, quit letting the devil beat you up about what happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, last week, yesterday, this morning. Redeem yourself today. Fall under new, a fresh anointing of His blood. Fall under the crimson stream and let His mercy flow over you. Let His grace cover you. Let the blood draw a line in your life that says nothing can come beyond this point. Let me tell you today what you refuse to place under the blood is where your battle begins. This this is the three places that confrontation with our enemy arise the hedge at the wall at the bloodline. And this is where the enemy of the Israelites came to. They gathered at the hedge. They camped outside of the wall. And they were ready to fight in the region of the blood. Now the children of Israel, the other side of the battle. The Bible says they came together and they gathered in the valley of Elah. The valley of Elah. What does Elah mean? Well, it's a Hebrew word. If you want a fourth Hebrew word, there you go. Elah. Elah means oak tree. So the Israelites gathered at the oak tree. In the valley. It was from the brook. At the oak tree. I just get the picture. I couldn't find one that matched. I just found an oak tree for the sermon slide. I ran out of time looking for oak trees by brooks. I guess there's a brook way down there over the hill. The Bible says they were at the valley of Elah, the valley of the oak tree. And there's a brook that ran through the valley. And David goes down to the brook and he grabs five smooth stones and places them in his shepherd's pouch it's the brook at the oak tree it was at the oak tree that David said to the glaring enemy towering above him spewing vanity and profanity at him David said I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied David said the battle starts right here at the oak tree It was at the oak tree that David began to wind up the sling and he began to twirl it above his head. And as the speed began to ramp up, he let go of one end of that sling and it released the stone that sailed through the air, nailed the giant right between the eyes and the giant fell down flat. Victories happen at the oak tree. The enemy will show up at the boundary. But your victory happens at the oak tree. And oak tree is a place of conviction. Where your convictions are is where your victories begin. The children of Israel didn't say, let's walk all the way over to their side. Let's walk all the way over to the edge of the bloodline to fight. No, the enemy, excuse me, the children of Israel said, We're gathering at the oak tree in the middle of the valley. The children of Israel didn't say, let's walk all the way over to the wall and outside of the wall to start this fight. No, they said, we're going to stand right here at our place of conviction at the oak tree and we'll fight the battle here because this is where victory begins. The children of Israel didn't say, let's get outside of the hedges and win this battle. They said, no, the fight starts right here at the oak tree. Convictions. What is a conviction? It's just a firmly held belief. I'm convicted of this. Maybe it's lighthearted and somewhat facetious or funny. But I'm convicted. Strawberry milkshakes are the best. Have a conviction about that. If you want a good milkshake, get a strawberry one. If you want the best milkshake, get a strawberry. One. It's a conviction. It's a firmly held belief. I have some convictions in my life. There's only one Lord. You'll not convince me otherwise. I've studied this book from cover to cover. I've read every part of it that I can find. I'm convicted in my heart. I'm convinced. I have a conviction. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm convinced. convinced. I have a conviction. I have a conviction. That even though the Bible says to cry out on the name of the Lord and you will be saved, that in and of itself is not the full expression of salvation. It is simply a beginning to salvation. Even though Acts tells us that if we'll call on the name of the Lord, He'll wash away our sins. Simply calling on His name is a command in Scripture, but it's not the fulfillment of Scripture. For Acts 2.38 says we must be buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I have a conviction that when John came, where John wrote, excuse me, about Nicodemus coming to Jesus, Jesus said, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. You must be born again. I have a conviction that Jesus was not talking about physical birth and spiritual birth, being born of the water, being a. Physical birth and being born of the Spirit being a spiritual birth. I'm not convinced that's what scripture was. Because when John asked about physical birth, Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Being born of the water is a spiritual birth. I have a conviction that that spiritual birth of water happens in the baptistry. In the name of Jesus Christ. And being born of the Spirit happens when the power of God falls upon you. And you experience His infilling like they did on the day of Pentecost. Can I get a witness? I choose to fight my battles at these lines. If I'm going to fight, I'm not going to fight out there at the edge. I'm going to fight here at the oak tree. I'm not going to let up on my convictions to appease an enemy that wants to destroy me. I'm going to stand and fight at the oak tree. What is the conviction? It's an unwavering faith. I believe it so much that it impacts what I do. Faith is more than believing because if faith was simply believing, it would be called believing. Faith is believing in enough that it impacts how we live and what we do. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The substance is the doing of the things hoped for, the belief. Evidence, the doing, you get it. Faith is more than believing. Faith is believing enough to do something about it. Conviction is saying I have unwavering faith. I believe it so much I'll do something about it and you won't change my mind. Because I have a conviction. I want to tell the church, and I wish I could scream it from every pulpit simultaneously across America and the globe right now. Church of Jesus Christ, you need to get some convictions in your heart. You need to get some convictions in your life. It's time we establish some convictions. It's time we find an oak tree in our life. And we say, I'm not going to fight out there, but I'm going to make my battles here. It's time we look at what we look at and change it. It's time we look at what we listen to and change it. It's time we change where we go and how we act and what we do. Hey, the Bible doesn't say it. I'm not talking about just scripture. I'm talking about drawing a line where you're willing to fight your battle. I'm not going to fight my battle on his territory. If we're going to fight, he's going to have to come on my territory. And once you cross the line, you're guaranteed to lose. So come on at the oak tree. The oak tree, history. Meet me at the oak tree, addiction. Meet me at the oak tree, old habit. Meet me at the oak tree. You're guaranteed to lose because you've already crossed the line to get to the oak tree. You hear me, the enemy will attack you at the hedge. The enemy will attack you at the wall. The enemy will attack you at the bloodline. But if you show up with conviction, you're already guaranteed to win. Meet me at the oak tree where my convictions are established. Meet me at an oak tree where I prayed and God spoke to me. Meet me at an oak tree where I studied the Word, and it got into my heart. Meet me at an oak tree where I felt the presence of God through the preaching of the Word, through the study of the Word. Meet me at an oak tree where my calendar was consecrated. Meet me at an oak tree where my iPod was... iPod? That's old. (laughs) Meet me at an oak tree where my... Music was consecrated. Glad I didn't say cassette tapes. <laughs> Meet me at the oak tree where my streaming service was consecrated. Meet me at the oak tree where my lifestyle was consecrated. Meet me at the oak tree where my presentation was consecrated meet me at an oak tree where my prayer life was consecrated meet me at an oak tree where my devotion was consecrated meet me at an oak at the oak tree where my entire life from start to finish from a to z from top to bottom has been consecrated to god and i've established some convictions Outside the hedge, outside the wall, and outside the bloodline. That's where we lose the battle. But if you'll get some convictions, that's where you'll start winning. Amen. I wonder if you stand with me this morning. I'm convinced God wants you to win more than anything in this life. I'm convinced He's done everything He could possibly do to set you up for victory. I'm convinced God's paid the price, set in an order, ordained a direction in your life so that you can win. Thank you for listening to the Church podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at LifeSpringChurch.us